Welcome to another episode of ZoomCron Week in Review. I am adjusting my microphone. I am sitting next to my co-host, Allie. Hi. Hello, Allie. I am not beginning this week with a 30-minute sad me um, introduction going through the posts, just my lonely self. So I thank you for the fact that I am not doing that. Good. I, I appreciate that. Um, because I do need your perspective, especially as I'm looking at a cow that's sticking its tongue out at me. Oh, no. Yeah. Are you this, talking about a Highland? I am talking about a Highlander cow. Um, and the Highlander cows, so for people that are following along throughout the week, probably local readers um, in the Missoula area, zoomcron.com is, is the blog. And what we're doing here, Allie, is we're going to look through the, the posts and talk about different things that happened this week locally. But things really actually impact beyond the borders of Montana because Big Sky Country is a place that tourists like to come and visit. They like to be on rivers, and sometimes bad things happen, and you want to make sure that there's some authoritarian that will respond and hold the bad guys accountable, right? Well, yeah. Yeah. So one of the guys that's tasked with doing that is Guy Baker. He's a detective, and we will have some clips from a committee hearing that happened, not this week, but the week before, but it was written about tangentially, tan how do you say that word? Tangentially? tangentially? Yes. I believe. But so we'll have some clips, and that's going to be exciting. Um, let's get on with it, shall we? We uh, shall. I'm making sure the levels are okay. I think they're fine. I think they're fine, too. And if they're not fine, we can jack them up in post-production. So the Monday post, and that's going to be March 6th, 2023, um, was sort of a medley. A Monday medley is what I called it. We talked about... Harry Highlanders, Massless Kids, and Missoula's Interpretive Media Implementation Plan. I really hope I can speak during this episode. Um, if you love cows as much as Deputy County Attorney Wally Congdon loves cows, then this picture, which is a picture of a Highlander, might be enough to get that cowboy itch going, especially as spring brings calving season. So there was this really amazing article, and Ali, I don't know if we're going to want to maybe include at some point the uh, the ukulele version in which the story was actually read as I accompanied oh, the ukulele. Yes, that was the article. Um, that was the article that put the Highlanders really on the map for us. So much on the map that I mean, going out and visiting these Highlanders would be something that I would recommend for anyone in the area if they want to check out some pretty good-looking cows. They look like hippie cows. They have long hair and they like to swim in ponds, like the beaver tail pond. I think they're cute. They are cute, and we learned a lot reading the article. Um, I'll read the little excerpt that I included in the post. Telling the age of a Highlander is the same as a bighorn sheep. They develop a distinctive ring on their horns for each year of life. Besides size, the most noticeable difference between the sexes is their horns. A bull's horns often grows forward or even slightly downward and have a much wider base, whereas a cow's horns face upward and are longer and finer at the tip. These animals have become a very popular, have become very popular in the art community with stuffed toys, original metal and poster art, and many steaks, and, and many steak restaurants will find room to have a head mount in their establishment. To purchase the head and horns of a large bull runs around two thousand dollars before you even take it to the taxidermist for a shoulder mount. Some people outside of Montana might be wondering what the heck is going on with putting the heads of animals on yeah. walls. 
Ryan Funk, the sheriff of Mineral County, he's, he's not wondering. He knows exactly what goes on with that. Um, there doesn't seem to be much demand for the hides, though. Weird. We sometimes sell just the hollow horns for black powder purposes or wine, said McMillan. And McMillan is the woman that actually runs Wally Congdon's like little um, herd of cows. Your, your mouth is open. So, no, no, so, something is occurring to you, and I bet it's probably something you can't share during the podcast. So you'll just have to, whatever occurred to you, you'll have to share after I hit the button. Anyways, we're going to continue. Um, it's, it's fascinating because I have heard Wally Congdon. At, so, Ali, as you, you and I attend Mineral County hearings, yeah. sometimes they're mandamus hearings. Sometimes they've been other hearings. Wally Congdon likes to talk about the fact he only works 30 hours and he's very emphatic because he has other duties. I think he's, li- I, I don't, I could be wrong, but I think he's limited to 30 hours because you, yeah, he may be limited to 30 hours. He also does hay related activities. Yes. Um, and there's just so much about this cowboy hall of fame man who has worked in many different counties around the state. Um, he's been involved in organic beef. So, I mean, literally, I think there's probably stamps somewhere with Wally's name on, on meat. Mm-hmm. I might be um, exaggerating just a bit, but seriously, for people outside of Montana, Wally Congdon is an important person. He really is. Sure. So, he's, a, um, he's an important person for people inside of Montana as well. And, and he's helping do really important things for Mineral, Mineral County, like complete personnel files for the Sheriff's Department. You know, um, he's going to have to probably issue with the help of a judge. They're, they're going to get a subpoena going um, for for those files. So he's going to be trying to get files from post, which is part of the certification for law enforcement for the state of Montana um, and subpoena the, the state detention DOC, I think, state detention facility. Right. So a lot of interesting things happening. Um, the other parts of the of the post, though, included a, <laughs> One of the most anti, we're going to segue, one of the most anticlimactic school board meetings you will ever, ever see. And no one actually even saw it because I think I was one of the only people outside of the school board people that actually attended. It was, it was virtual. I believe it. Um, well, I attended virtually. And so for people, again, outside of Montana or outside of even Missoula, Missoula County Public Schools is the main school system in Missoula. My two of my kids go to a different school and it's, so it's like its own thing. So they take a lot of direction from MCPS, but they can make their own decisions when it comes to masks. It was really weird on a Friday to get an email that there was going to be an emergency school board meeting on a Sunday. And so I kind of read the email thinking the worst. And I don't know if that meant that I was able to read the email email clearly. Um, I, I think at one point I sent out a tweet to, to Skyler, she covers education issues for the Missoulian. I'm like, they're coming for my kids again in the masks, in the masks, they're coming. That's kind of how my tweet sounded, is my impression. She, she did not respond. But turns out they just wanted to call the emergency meeting to make sure that masks would not be a requirement. Even though the CDC, there's some like numbers in the county that are triggering a possible high designation. Um, they, they saw that they kind of were surprised. There was one woman, Jennifer Long, who said that she still masks up in stores and she kind of wished that would be a requirement, but she sure. actually acknowledged rea- in reality, it would be difficult to enforce. And so yeah. to, <laughs> I, it's so bizarre. It's really so bizarre to think back, you know, two years ago, two and a half years ago, and to have these contentious meetings 
the fear, the anger that was involved from parents, the school board, indignation, um, really this, we believe the science, trust the science, and it turns out now, things like natural immunity, pretty kick ass. I had someone literally yell at me that like natural immunity um, was a Trump like conspiracy theory. Herd immunity, I think specifically. They said, no, that's what Trump said. It's That's what the QAnon Trump people think. And I'm just like, you're a professor at the university, and you now think that herd immunity is a Trump conspiracy theory. This story seemed to shift because it seemed like you were talking about a random bystander, and now you were talking to a professor. So it's kind of interesting. This person was <clears throat> highly educated, and it just goes to show you how much things can change. And so um, a lot of folks... Oh, I use the F word, folks. You do that a lot. And we're going to get to that. Actually, that's going to that's gonna play a part later in, the, in this episode, in this week in review. So a lot of people, now I, I completely forgot what I was saying. What was I, what was I talking about, Allie? You were talking about a conversation you had with a professor or that they had with you. It sounded more. I think I was going to say something about how a lot of smart people were, um, were taken in, but I, I'm not... A, I'm not exactly sure what point I was going to make. One final point I do want to make in terms of stories and whose stories get told is that there is an implementation plan. And so the Gockler, the Donna Gockler, she is like head of Parks and Rec. She's the one that um, I sometimes refer to as a financial terrorist for wanting to impose $44 million in some kind of bond aquatic center vision that is really insane. But a lot of the expenditures envisioned by our City leaders are pretty nutty. Donna Gockler wants to let people know that there's going to be a chance to get your stories in if you want to influence the narratives down at Karis Park or Kiwanis Park okay, yeah. or other places like that. You were looking at me, Allie, like you weren't sure where, where I was going with that. I wasn't sure where you were going, but now I recall. You do recall the blog posts. Yeah, because parks... People who walk through parks like to read stories about those parks. They do. They, they're interested in the history of the parks. And so this is the quote I got from one of the local stories that we're talking about today. And I'll read it. They are the three most visited parks in town. Karis Park, East Karis Park, and Best Reed Park along Ron's River Trail with the river, the mountains, and Missoula as backdrops. Imagine all the things that happened here over the centuries. The desire to tell our community stories in those parks is really high, Gockler told MTN News. Missoula Parks and Recreation, the Downtown Missoula Partnership, and Destination Missoula are working to develop a media implementation plan. The plan there are so many plans. I would love to actually have a final count of all of the plans. I bet there's over 5 million plans. Are there plans to have plans? Yes, there are. Um, the idea is to create interpretive signs along the riverfront to tell the stories of our past or future. That was so, so that's the, the part that I bolded. I remember I told you this quote that I was using when I was writing this. Yeah. And I, I asked you if something stood out and you're like, how, how do you tell the, the stories of the future? Well, uh, it's prophetic. So is Donna Gockler a prophet? Yeah. I, I would say so. You hesitated a little bit. I don't well, know. I, I had to think about it for a second, but I, yeah, because in- Is she a prophet of, of how your, your future money is going to be spent by her? In some <laughs> ways, every elected official is an architect of the future, Amen right? Amen to that, so, sister. Yeah. So they are 
choosing what our future will look like, what the vision looks like. So that's how they allocate funds and what they do. So yeah, they are prophetic. They are magicians manifesting things into the present. For from, sure. Oh my goodness. They are drawing stuff from the future. Perhaps they are. Perhaps our money. But don't forget about the past. So this week we lost a very valuable journalist and good guy, Chuck Johnson, who was an archivist of Montana history and specifically Montana political history. So I actually kind of like the idea of preserving history in parks or wherever. Oh, absolutely. Um, and well, I think, I'm not going to yeah. rely on interpretive signs to give me a whole lot of truth about things. I'll, sure. I'll, I'll definitely take that information as like, hmm, I wonder what the process was to get this narrative to this point. It's a diving board. Like the Aquatic be. Center. You know, I bet, I bet Chuck Johnson is in one of these books behind us. Behind, yeah. The, that's kind of like the Montana section that I'm pointing to. Oh, okay. And I, I point to the books because before we move on, I just want to mention how Adam from Deborah Gets Red Pilled, who's kicking some ass and uh, continuing to do a sort of actual headlines um, public episode. He's doing some stuff on Patreon for subscribers, but the stuff he does with Deborah is like going over the headlines. And I actually really like yeah. it because um, Deborah brings the things that she's kind of interested in. And then Adam brings from the conspiracy side, his stuff. And so it's, it's pretty cool. But Adam was talking about um, getting books and how he's like, come on people. You just, you're going to have to get hard copies of books. I have been called to do that for a while. And it's, yeah. it's something that um, I actually have a book next to me. I want to talk about at some point. Um, but getting hard copies of books, um, apparently Jay Dyer, a guy that does a lot of the cultural analysis, um, all the weird satanic, uh, imagery, symbolism within different movies. Uh, Jay Dyer also talks about getting first editions. If you can, I've got Ed Sanders book about the Manson family. There's a first edition that has a reference to the final process church or no, the church of the final process that the, the process church. church of the final judgment. Yes, man. I, I don't usually forget that. But you, you, you've been... I cleaned been, it up. You know, you've been hanging out with me quite a lot. You know some of these references. Okay, so we are segueing now. Wait, real quick though. Hmm. I do encourage people to preserve history and write their own stories. Because yes. every story matters. And it really does put together the puzzle piece that is our city. And I do think it's really important. So yep. we need to stand up in the wake of... Chuck Johnson's loss and fill in those gaps. Now, I wonder how Chuck Johnson, were he around to opine on my political coverage? Um, my, how, how can I say it delicately? Sort of like zero fuck approach in terms of who I piss off. So Democrats, once upon a time, were my crew, right? I was okay. a progressive. Um, I voted for Bernie and, uh, you know, I voted for Obama. I teared up when Obama was in the Adams Center. I teared up. I'm you did? Yeah, I'm embarrassed to say that. I cheered up. I was at President Obama's inauguration. Ooh, I know. Well. And you showed me the yeah, invitation. The photo. That yeah. stuff is cool. So usually it would be like a partisan attack were I just a progressive attacking someone like Vondine Kopetsky, the chair of the Republican Good Central segue. Committee here, here in Missoula. Um, but guess what? I'm not. I'm not a progressive. I do a lot of. I spend a lot of time going after the local cabal and they like to LARP around as progressives, but they're like a new party corporate Democrat sort of like mutation that just is, has got some like really weird growths on it and some other old things that need to just sort of die off and sh sh like slough off. You're seeing some weird words that I'm not sure I comprehend mm. like Democrats mm. and Republicans. 
Yeah, no, they're. I'm they're... not really sure what you're talking about. So if you dig in the in the geological record, there's fossils of these two things that people once upon a time broadly had faith in as being distinctive um, and worth supporting. But now you have to kind of deal with, in, in my mind, deal with the, the personalities and the local, the local infrastructure because you have a single party that's been operating for decades in Missoula, in part because Von Dean is not good. If, if, if. If Von Dean's job is to find candidates that are conservative and to have them run, let's say, against the Democrat who's the sheriff, Jeremiah Peterson, or the Democrat who's the county attorney, Kirsten Pabst, they sort of identify as Democrats, I guess. Yeah. Um, but they didn't have anyone running against them, and that would be Von Dean's fault. She is the person that you would think would sort of rah-rah, sis-boom-bah, let's go conservatives in Missoula. Well, what happens is she goes after other people within the party. She kind of yells at them. Sometimes she calls 911 and she'll have law enforcement respond. And Roy McKenzie, another person in the local media, new media landscape that gives, I think, very few fucks about some of the people within the party he kind of identifies with. Um, you know, he wrote something about Missoula Republican chair calling the police on another member. So I took a nice screenshot. We quoted from Roy's article. And then we add my special seasoning, which you thought might have been a tad too much and the the poodle that is my Copkins might not appreciate the leash um, and the collar around him. And he doesn't you said he, he doesn't like running the agility course or something like that. No, I, I think. <laughs> no, I did not say that. I, I, I think that's a rather it's harsh. It is harsh. But pointed. See, here's the thing. I talked to Mike for the first and only time. Okay. I actually talked to him in person. I asked him about TJ McDermott running for mayor and he acted like he didn't have a fucking clue. Maybe he doesn't have a fucking clue. That means, okay, you don't have a fucking clue. Um, if that's about, it, about, about TJ McDermott the and candidacy? running, yeah, running for mayor. Okay. Um, and so if he doesn't have a clue, then that's kind of weird since his mom is like running the central committee. And if he, but if he does have a clue and he told me he didn't have a clue, he's lying. Either way, I kind of like envision him as, as some kind of, you know, canine. And, and I'm sorry, I just see him running around with a leash and Von Dean with her hair is kind of like running after him. And she's, I don't know what kind of treats she gives him when he's a good boy, but I'm tired of how pathetic the Republicans in Missoula are. Okay, okay. Well, I will say, say this, that it's largely shared among Democrats and Republicans on all sides of the political spectrum. The party leadership can be kind of domineering. That mm. sort of goes with the course. So I'm not sure it's unique to Republicans. Um, no, no, oh, no, no. Um, the Missoula Democrat Facebook page I've heard so many fun stories of um, progressives getting attacked by the corporate Democrats. And so this is definitely not, not unique. I mean, this is just, it's all high school. We never leave high school. And that's, Do you think the party labels really apply right now? No, no, not at all. Yeah. I mean, because I don't know when they were eviscerated, but I feel like there's freedom in that too, though. There right. actually is freedom in that Like pre COVID post COVID pre Trump post Trump. There are a lot of things that have shifted in our world and in the global landscape. And so it's hard. I have a hard time identifying with any particular like partisan agenda, I guess I would say, because it's it's evolved into something greater than that. It has evolved, as has the identity, the political identity of T.J. McDermott. 
So moving on, the, the politics of human trafficking should make wannabes, sen wannabe senators in Montana very nervous. We're going to glide through this one because we have so much material to cover. Um, and I don't want to sound like a broken record talking about things like the lifeguard group, but I do appreciate myself and how I took a picture and there's five people in the picture. Only three of them are, are the people that I want you to, to think about because I'll write this. And again, you're not seeing the image. So I'm going to try and paint the image for you, but you have a governor who's bent over. He's got a pen in his hand and he's signing something. You have an attorney general. Um, his tiny hands are kind of like in front of him, and he's looking over at the pen. And then there's, there's someone behind standing behind the attorney general. And so I write, um, and this post was posted on March 8th. Does one of the men in this picture wants to be a U.S. Senator? Perhaps the one gazing longingly at Governor Gianforte's pen? If the man with the red tie has a higher political office in mind, he should spend some time wondering what is in the mind of the man standing behind him. The one who looks like he could snap at any moment. The one I think is running a fake safe house for victims of human trafficking. The politics of human trafficking produces images on social media that makes me sad. Why does the following image make me sad? Because I had such high hopes for the young city council person who I interviewed for a little documentary about tax increment financing. And then I go on to say maybe they just don't know. Um, so I, I included a picture of Jesse Ramos, who used to be a city council member, and I did interview him for the documentary Engins, Missoula. Uh, he's got a picture of Lowell Hocal with Lowell Hocalter and Lowell's hand is around Jesse's shoulder and the way that Lowell's face is lit, holy crap, kind of demonic, a little scary. But um, the challenge is right now at the state legislature, we've got a culture war that's being waged against um, trans. We have one, one of the first um, uh, trans women. She is Wait, Zoe I'm, Zephyr. I'm so trying to follow this line of logic. Right. So what I'm what I'm talking about is tax increment financing and some of the topics that don't get play at the state level. Okay. So uh, and and Jesse's not responsible for that, right? So he's not at the state level. He now is with um, Americans for Prosperity. So um, he he's with more of a lobbying arm of the political world. But people like Adam Hertz used to be against tax increment financing. They did have some influence at the state level. There is no movement or discussion or anything happening with how these kind of local mechanisms are going to be expanded to start building workforce housing. None of that's happening. There is a culture war. A lot of the oxygen in the, in the local media is being taken up by the trans issue because the culture wars in different state legislatures, that is what is getting the focus not actual things that conservatives yeah. could make an impact on because in, at the state level, Republicans and conservatives, they have a lot of potential power. I have so to, as long that's, as you That's you're, why I had a weird shift. We're shifting into that as realm. As long as you're talking about that, I because I wasn't even thinking about that or even thinking to talk about it, but I do have to say kudos to Zoe for having the courage to be in, a, in the Montana legislature, which is obviously not friendly territory oh yeah and it takes it takes a lot of guts to be able to stand up for what one believes in uh, against huge opposition and i will say like i hate the dialogue both in the state and nationally about all of these issues because i think it homogenizes people in ways that dehumanizes them and I absolutely hate that because every person has a story and there's a reason why they are in, um, in the situation that they're in, why they believe the way they do. 
And I have some respect and value for that. I, I believe, like, anyway, I just... So I don't, I don't think you actually know how well you set up um, the two Baker clips we're now going to listen to. I have so, no idea. Um, the, the contention in, in this post is actually the fact that the, that the, the Lifehouse, um, so the Lifehouse is supposed to be this human trafficking victim safe house in the Bitterroot Valley um, at this place formerly known as the Crooked Tree Ranch. From all of the sort of sources and all of the things that have been um, put out there, some publicly, which I, I referenced a specific clip um, of Guy Baker talking about human trafficking and saying himself that the safe house is not yet ready to accept victims, although they are getting inquiries from out of state. Um, but in thinking about the capacity of law enforcement, okay, for how they can actually go after what is increasingly just some really disturbing stuff going on. Guy Baker in this presentation to city council, which happened actually on February 15th, um, references people being sold on the dark web. Um, the dark web is something that came up in our interview, Ali, with um, sure. Elisa E. And so I want to play two clips. Um, I think I'll play them back to back because they, they are kind of interrelated. Um, and we'll, we'll go ahead and, and pause, listen to the clips, and then come back and talk about it. But thank you for unknowingly setting that up pretty well. I think yeah. um, when you step back from some of the culture war conversation happening at the state level, looking at what the capacity actually is of law enforcement to deal with the trafficking issue, um, and then listening to someone from that world discuss what is going on. So we're going to listen to two clips now from Detective Guy Baker. Um, he has supra jurisdictional powers because of his um, FBI and detective law enforcement roles here in Western Montana. So check out these clips. How come you don't run ops all, I mean, I think it's probably budget related, but why don't you run ops all the time if they tend to pull in? So it's manpower, obviously. Yeah. Um, just There's only so many detectives and officers. So, um, But the FBI started a, uh, a new... Uh, VCAC task force and uh, Missoula County Sheriff's detective is a task force officer uh, for that too. So there's going to be about a dozen TFOs, task force officers with the FBI of which like I am, but I'm for violent crime um, that are working around the state and you're going to see more of this proactive uh, enforcement. So um, oil industry workers, that was a big one with the Bakken, not just the Bakken, wherever that is occurring in America. Military personnel, both uh, you know, in-country as well as out. I remember when I was younger on the department and not understanding any of this, being right out of college and fresh in the department in my early 20s and you know, talking to some officers who have been in the military and, and what girls would do uh, in the Philippines and here and there where they were stationed, and it's like, wow, that's crazy. And and now looking at that, it just makes me mad because the almighty American dollar can exploit poverty. And it does that right here in Montana, too, um, that if you pay for someone, um, you know, you, you paid for them. So be quiet, do what I paid you to do, because I paid you. And this mentality of just dehumanizing females uh, is not good. Uh, is not good. Uh, there was a, a large scale ops by the FBI in a, in a city in another state in which it involved the dark web, uh, where people were being sold on the dark web, and they were being sold for a lot less than you would think a human could be bought. 
And uh, there was at least one person from Montana that traveled multiple states away uh, to buy a human. And uh, he was arrested when he arrived, as were lots of others. Uh, in that investigation, a uh, search of his residence, um, he had a, uh, a torture room in his basement. And uh, what he intended to do with this female that he was going to buy. And with a person like that, I mean, do you think he's ever going to let her go? Are you going to play with this person for a while and then just let them go? No. And so if he's that type of person, has he done this before? So, um, Okay, those were two clips. I think kind of back-to-back clips, but I um, had stopped so I could get two different versions. What do you think of those clips? We had um, Detective Guy Baker talking about um, sort of the, the people that are purchasing the females. Um, we had him say things like it made, made him mad. After he was kind of, you know, a young guy, new on the force, listened to the veterans, tell him about, like, what the the ladies overseas would do. And he's like, oh, wow, that's crazy. Um, And then it made him angry because he realized poverty could be exploited. Uh, (laughs) You could exploit poverty is what he said. And that made him upset. You know, I share that. I actually share that with Guy Baker. Um, It does make me upset as well when poverty is exploited. It's interesting because... Um, one of the things we're going to segue into, um, and Ali, feel free to bust in at any point. Um, the use of informants, both formal and informal, is something I've been bringing up, and we're going to be we're going to be shifting now into a conversation about um, the reaching home tenure plan and homelessness. But you and I both sat in the the murder trial of Lee Nelson. Guy Baker played a very prominent role as lead detective. Um, his right knowledge, his years on the force over 30 years, um, including um, all these fancy task force that he mentioned um, with the FBI. And so when it, when it comes to feds, when it comes to all kinds of amazing capacity, well, the question is, how much capacity do they have? It is a matter of resources, he says. Um, you know, you and I actually even had an experience with the flower girl last summer, yeah. where we saw a girl we thought Hey, see something, say something. I said something to 911. You said something to the girl. We got information that made us worry that she was being trafficked, not just selling flowers to go to Disneyland, the way she kind of said. And Guy Baker was the person that I spoke with because he spent six to eight hours, he told me. Six to eight hours locating the van, the the Russians. It ended up being some Russians from uh, Western Western Washington, a, a Russian family. And Guy Baker made contact with the Russian family and related to me. It was probably just some cultural misunderstanding I was having. So that was an experience I had directly. And it's fascinating to listen to those clips and to, and to get a sense of what is our capacity. Um, you actually brought me an article. This is from the Billings area about the presence of cartels operating here oh, yeah. in Montana. Um, Billings is really being overrun with a lot of violence that article mentioned explicitly two cartels. Our attorney general getting very nervous about what's happening at the southern border. I would offer maybe check out the western Montana border, counties like Mineral County. Well, I think it's a good thing they're being proactive yeah. now, that they're truly recognizing the danger to Montana Amen. and doing something about it because this is, we are on the front lines. And people think, but we're in Montana, we're way north, we're not close to Mexico, but that doesn't, it doesn't change the reality on the ground that there are, the presence of cartel exists in this state. Well, not just that, money. 
So where there's money and there's a lot of money, a lot of deep pockets have moved to Montana in the last couple of years, especially the Bakken oil fields was mentioned by detective Baker. And so that was a bunch of money, um, being made by, by men that, um, had a sort of, uh, lack of intimacy in their life and a, a strong desire to find that for a price. Um, but talking about being exploited, I always have a question about why there seems to be fewer prosecutions in cases like this. Because there's some reticence to charge the women involved with this like it used to be that people who the women would be the ones who would be charged and prosecuted yep yep now there's a reluctance to prosecute the women for obvious reasons i hope because people know that they're being exploited but what happens to the perpetrators what happens to the people who are actually purchasing another human being just like the slave trade I guess I have some questions as to where law enforcement chooses to enforce. Um, and I hope, and it seems like with recent news articles, it seems like this is becoming um, more of a priority than maybe it has been in the past. But Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, the mention of like a, uh, was it a torture room? Yes. Um, <laughs> Because, oh, the, 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 there's actually a very strange case, a very strange case. There was a, a case, this is um, back in 2020, around the same time that Sean Stevenson was assaulted. Uh, a, a guy named Josh um, Paniagua, Paniagua? Josh Paniagua? I'm not sure how you pronounce that last name. Um, he was actually involved in a uh, stabbing in which another young man, Ben Musso, was, was killed in a drug deal in the bathroom here in Montana. And there was no charge. It was a, it was a self-defense situation that Kirsten Pabst, our County attorney, um, laid out. I actually, it's interesting because there was a couple hits I noticed in the stats on the blog on this, on this, uh, old blog post. I wrote about it. He actually was later arrested because he had a torture room in his basement. He was going to, um, he had for his mom, he was going to like wow. kidnap his mom. And so um, I just had to mention that, uh, torture room reference, you know, Hey, how many torture rooms are there in, uh, in Montana or dudes that want to build torture rooms, which County. Good question. So talking about exploiting poverty, we have the 10 year plan to enable homelessness. I'm sorry, 10 year plan to end, end homelessness, reaching home. 2012 is when this plan was launched. That means 2022 is when it ended. Cause I can do basic math as an English major. JG research recently did an analysis. They did some, outreach workshops surveys i think i participated in any part of it that i could and i i actually think i had somewhat of an impact because one of the things that they made clear one of the big successes was the coordinated entry system right we have and, and you know from the nonprofit world having different capacities that you've worked in we like to be data-driven best practices sure information is important and how you're then acting on that information and so the fact that I know, I know because of my direct conversations that the coordinated entry system was a HUD requirement and that's um, right. for federal funding. It should have been one of the first things that was accomplished. It was not. So the first four years under Michael Moore leading this 10 year plan, when the, when the plan was housed under the uh, leadership of United Way, 
Um, that was not accomplished. Michael Moore may not have been up to the task. He may not have been given, been given the sort of oversight and drive to do what he needed to do. I spoke with Teresa Williams. She was the person that took over the plan and really absolutely had to scramble to get this thing implemented because there was the risk of losing funding. Um, people don't realize that like this wasn't just Missoula saying, oh, this is a 10, let's, let's do a 10 year plan. There were requirements in order to continue getting HUD funding. Communities across the country sure. had to write up these plans. They had to show what they were going to be doing with federal funding as it was going to continue coming into the community. It was a national initiative. Yes. So one of the big things that saved this plan was the pandemic. COVID scrambled everyone's brains. And it's that, that I know that there is a hope, I think. Well, I, I don't know. I can speculate that there is a hope that the pandemic scrambled enough brains that they're going to forget the things that I was paying attention to before the pandemic. And that is the fact that the numbers were going up. So every time a point in time survey, which was done annually would be done that it, there were, there were numbers that were going up despite more the money. Numbers of people who identify as homeless yes. were going up. Yes. Okay. Houseless now houseless. is the term. Sorry. I'm, I'm usually very good at saying houseless. So. I know you mentioned that. Yeah. So, houseless and i'll try to update my use of language as i don't use the word folks i'll use the word houseless okay houseless people not houseless folks anyway what was my what did i think we should call people transitional residents yes and also technically college kids or transients but we don't no, think of I, them that I way i don't think of them like that there but maybe you should anyways we're gonna get sidetracked so there was a chance to be within city council chambers. Lately, I've been taking every chance to be in city council chambers. If I have relevant things to share, I'm going to share some relevant things. I don't know what they expected from me. The first time I got up, it was probably since there was a um, Missoula Redevelopment Agency board member being reappointed. Maybe they thought I was going to say something about tax increment financing since I have a deep, deep passion for, oh. for TIFF. I thought you were talking about the award Ellen received. No, 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 okay. no. So this was the um, the informal review of the JG Research. So JG Research got a yeah. chance to give their presentation, and I got a chance to sit there with all three county commissioners, the United Way director, all kinds of heavy hitters, just you know sitting there ready to to see this plan um, be discussed. The thing that I wanted to talk about um, is my idea of moving forward, because of course. A new 10-year plan is going to be developed. What might that plan look like? One of the things they also mentioned over and over and over again is money, 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 because the crisis mill levy wasn't enacted by voters. And so they're still in a post-November funk, a post-November depression. It's sad to see them so sad. And so I wanted to make them less sad by being a little bit more goal-oriented than I am. I worked on tone and I offered a location of funding. That's so good. my idea is, and, and, and tell me what you think, Allie. Okay. Lived experiences is something that's very important to acknowledge, especially as you're developing programs, you want to take into consideration the lived experiences of people without houses that are creating shanty towns in the woods and selling meth and using walkie talkies and building second two story structures. You want to take their lived experiences into consideration. And sure. so as they're living in a lawless dystopia enacted by um, the law, the law enforcement of the county, the sheriff's department, not recognizing enforcement of basic basic laws their lived experience is important i acknowledge that but here's the thing 
I say go to the Headwaters Foundation, say, hey, you guys have $100 million. Give us, you know, a couple million of that. Um, we might need to use some of that money to make some bribes in order to get the crime lab to give up some data. Um, we also might need to give TJ McDermott some money to go away somewhere on a nice vacation as we rip open the, the coroner data from the Missoula, from Missoula County because the coroner is also the sheriff's office. And we look at the death experiences, the death experiences of houseless people. I'm going to say the F word, houseless folks. Let's do it. Let's, let's look at the houseless folks' death experiences. I suggested to city council in person, Sean Stevenson, Johnny Lee Perry, and Lee Nelson could be three people that we look at. Um, in my first public comment, I said, hey, guys, have some concerns about how houseless people are being used as informants, both formally and informally. Um, and so this is something I'm passionate about as a new plan might be developed as there is money. You know, I'm going to say, hey, why don't you give me some money? I will rip open um, the, the data set that's lurking out there. I mean, we could talk about overdoses, how many people that are without houses um, are dying from overdoses. I mean, I don't know. What do you think? The death experiences. Is there, is there information that might be useful? going forward in our community? I'm sure on some level that's probably already tracked. Um, however, I have sort of a different thought along those lines. Does the county just no longer have jurisdiction once someone has passed away? Hmm, interesting. Um, you're probably thinking that because of certain civil cases we're mm -hmm. tracking. Um, it, it's so fascinating. The, the coroner, the power of the coroner and the sheriff to write death certificates... Um, obviously you're thinking of the Rebecca Barsati case way too complicated for us to get into here, but this might become one of those macro subjects that, that really require some heavy lifting way beyond what even, um, like the division of criminal investigation can accomplish and looking at what's happening yeah. county by county. I mean, I, I think we're, I mean, we're also looking at uh, missing indigenous women, um, sure. thinking about the documentary, um, murder, murder in, in Big, Big Horn, Horn County. Uh, we really should probably join forces and really start thinking about um, how people are meeting their death in a, in a beautiful landscape like, like Montana. Obviously, we're focusing on Western Montana, um, and it can't always be without people without houses. Rebecca Barsotti wasn't houseless when um, she... I'm not even going to say what happened because it's so wide open in terms of what may have happened to Rebecca after she went missing and then showed up not alive. But um, anything else about just kind of thinking, reaching home, 10-year plan, uh, people without conventional housing, what they, may, what they might be looking at in terms of living, housing, in terms of I th I think it's interesting because kind of the... 10-year plan to end homelessness, it was said in the presentation, no one thought that it would actually end homelessness. And so it's kind of interesting. I know that they, they borrowed that phrase from other sources, so it's not just locally contrived. But the reality is, I think, one thing that possibly could be improved in the future is reframing it, renaming it to something more realistic. Because the... Well, I'll tell, I'll tell you... They're, they're going to use an F word and then a what? Z word. They're going to have an F Z phrasing that they're already, I think, using for veterans. And that, <clears throat> excuse me, that is functional zero. Right. <clears throat> and so if they can reframe it by saying 
Um, basically, and, th- and this requires sure. better, better data collection to prove you're achieving functional zero because right. you want to equalize people moving into the system and then moving out into other things. Which makes sense. It, it does make sense. I'm, you know, this stuff used to be, I used to be a lot more optimistic as I sat through committee hearings and different forms of meetings and listened about forms being developed, which I, I sat through some, some form talk uh, on Friday. No, I'm sorry, Thursday. But really what the community wants is a better understanding of what the fuck local government is even doing in the first place. And the big takeaway that I got from what uh, JG Research is talking about is how terrible our local officials are at talking about this shit. Um, the communication, not good. A lot of the people engaging in the local workshops were wanting the researchers to explain the plan to them. They had to be told uh, that our role is to actually assess what you know and think and feel about the plan. So, of course, communication was going to have to be a big, big uh, challenge, a big barrier, however they that frame it. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And I didn't sit in on those workshops, so I don't know exactly what was conducted. I just I heard what was presented. And that's sort of an interesting idea to me that they wouldn't expressly state the purpose, objectives of the plan and make it clear how they were going about that well it, because we, the only way to evaluate how well it's going is if you know how it was supposed to be going we saw this though with the the crisis mill levy the big criticism is they could not be specific about what right. the money was actually going to go towards they used a lot of squishy language you know well it could go to this or it might be this and it's funny um I, one of the, the things that, that of value, I think, that I know I am trying to bring my from my attendance of these meetings is, is how do you sit through these boring meetings and how do you hear the gems? And, and then how do you put those gems into context for other people to then consume? And one of the things I wanted to mention is like how a statistician or someone that's involved in like this research stuff might maybe throw some shade, you know? And that's a hip way of saying like, I don't know. How would you interpret that throwing shade? Like I, I actually framed it as they were maybe being a little bit defensive, right? Sure. And, and this is after, um, Brandon with no E Brandon green mentioned, uh, how the, <laughs> a good, a good sewage system analogy that the reaching home tenure plan was like a good sewage system. Oh yeah. Remember that great analogy. You only know it's not working when something goes wrong. Yes. Yes. But there was, there was a phrase, and the phrase that, that I thought was just hilarious, and this was in reference to the coordinated entry system being completed in 2017, which, of course, the plan was enacted in 2012. The phrasing was <clears throat> increased completeness of data collection. So, yes, we've achieved a increased completeness of data collection. We're getting better. We're, we're increasing that completeness. It's not, it's not completeness yet, Allie, but we're increasing that completeness. It's in process. So... Good job um, after 10 years of increasing that completeness of the data collection, guys. Good job. And it's funny because I also, if I could, you know, talk about some of the specifics. I mean, I I was in this position at Missoula Aging Services to actually assess um, people's ability to potential, or I would have to refer them to one of the front doors so they could be assessed by the coordinate entry system. And I had one person call back and, and complain that they couldn't even be interviewed um, because they were not homeless enough. And that is one of the things that has come up. People don't realize that there, there's a certain technical definition of homelessness that sure. HUD imposes. 
And if you are sleeping on a person's couch, if you're quote unquote couch surfing, you are not homeless enough. And I literally have had to tell people get more homeless or lie on the survey. Well, get you sleep in your car or, uh, you know, check into the shelter where you might be attacked in any, I mean, when, when you have pregnant women being assaulted in, 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 uh, inside bathrooms, inside porta potties, you know, by unstable clients of the Johnson street shelter, right. you have to kind of wonder, you know, what people think really are viable options for them in terms of safe lodging, temporary transitional or otherwise. I, I'm still, and maybe somebody can actually answer this in real time sometime. For me, I still do not understand why this issue is not more of a financial priority for the city. Because, and maybe it's just my lack of understanding, because, and I completely concede that point, but it seems somewhat irrational to me to justify multi-million dollar projects on an ongoing basis for entertainment purposes when we have people just hemorrhaging out on the sidewalk. And this is something that city council member Daniel Carlino has been great in bringing this up in terms of funding priorities. And he, I mean, Daniel Carlino voted no against the appointment of the um, uh, Melanie Brock to the Missoula redevelopment agency board. And he made that point after he voted no, that yeah, um, there's priorities that seem a little bit skewed in terms of what, where the money and how much money, where it goes. Absolutely. Well, I very much appreciate Daniel's perspective, and I know he's been a, a huge advocate. And I, I, I voted for him. Yeah, yes, you did. You're willing to take heat, even from your own family. Amen. So, I have a question. I have a question for mayoral candidate Sean McCoy. And that question I posed in Friday's post, it was posted on March 10th. And the question is, do the ends justify the means? Do they? So let's say typically not no. cutting down, <laughs> cutting down trees is bad. You really believe that like cutting down trees and deforestation and, you know, the environment and climate change and all that bad back in 2002, someone, his name, Sean McCoy thought it was bad enough to attach to a logging truck. The, the logging truck was stopped by some of his co-conspirators that blocked the truck on the Madison Street Bridge here in Missoula. And then both Sean and another person, <clears throat> Stephanie, I think was her name, <clears throat> repelled off the bridge. This stopped traffic. It was dangerous for the first responders that had to, um, I, I think it was actually springtime, so they had to be on the river below to then get up and, um, I, I don't know exactly how it was accomplished. I just know I'm glad I wasn't the one that had to do that. But that really no is in none of the reporting. Well, there is no reporting yet in terms of Sean McCoy wanting to be the mayor. And I find it interesting because you can already access things like the applications for mayor. And so um, it's curious. It's, it's a good question. Um, one of my questions, because I, I have Sean McCoy sort of back in my journalistic crosshairs because I noticed that he's on the, the planning board. That's a county appointment, so you have to start thinking, okay, who who appointed him from the county? Uh, Sean McCoy, Little little Frank Farms, so he's into farming now. Josh Slotnick, our county commissioner, he's into farming, loves farming so much. He was so busy, he forgot to like be more transparent, um, even though, he, of course, he did fill out a conflict of in- interest form, which is going to maybe which be made will public. Which now be made public. Yeah. 
So interesting stuff. So my question then is, do the ends justify the means? And part of my thinking is there was a recent story and this was a, a coordinated assault on a police training center outside of Atlanta. Excuse me. Let me get a sip of water. Ah, Water is so good. So a coordinated attack this was a pretty violent situation and there was over 30 people arrested. And one of the individuals arrested was a Southern poverty law center lawyer. And so the question really becomes, do the ends justify the means? I, I am worried. And I ask this because I, I think there's a normalizing of just really going outside of outside of protocol. Um, in the previous post, we recorded a, a story sort of dramatic retelling um, about Lowell Hochalter, Tammy, giving um, some assistance to a person in need. Lowell, in that story, talked about stepping outside of protocol. We tried to reflect maybe on how we've been in similar situations where maybe you were called to move beyond what normal people sure. would do. Anything you want to opine on? I do, because I, I feel this is a more complex question than perhaps I previously gave credit for. And Ooh, I like that. You're, you're starting to think it's a bit more nuanced or difficult to respond to. Okay. I do think it's a little more interesting. Harriet Tubman, oh. right? Okay, you, you're confounding me. Harriet Tubman um, freed people through the Underground Railroad, Oh, uh, right? yes, of course. So so sometimes what government says, like if, if it's a truly unethical law that codifies slavery, for example... I hope most decent people will rebel against that. That is not okay. There's a, a higher human order where that's important to break protocol. Do you need to be willing to accept the consequences or should you complain vehemently about your $70,000 bond the way that Sean McCoy did and his cohort, Stephanie, after they had to face the judges for what they did? Because if you really believe in it, you should be willing to face the consequences, right? Right, I, I think so. However, I think I, I think what hill do you die on? I think that's the question. Right. Is it I mean, obviously Harriet Tubman, pretty noble in the pursuit of justice and liberty for all, right? Uh I don't know as much about the seventy thousand dollar bond, um, or why that was as important as it was. So but I was thinking what you were what you were saying about the uh, giving someone a dollar post specifically is yeah. what I was thinking. And it really is discretionary. I think it really is um, on some level. But what what is the fruit of that? What's the ultimate outcome? And I think that needs to be taken into consideration too because we hear the first part of the story but not the rest of the story. Right. Well, let me read a little bit from the article from 2002, and if the, anything else kind of pops up that might be responded to, um, let me know. So I'll read this. The idea was to protest the logging of burned trees in the Bitterroot National Forest. In doing so, though, the protesters commanded the attention of three fire stations and left the city of Missoula without fire protection, said Deputy Missoula County Attorney Jennifer Johnson. Throughout the rescue, firefighters were at great risk, Johnson said. The Clark Fork was just three feet below flood stage and was so muddy that firefighters could not see what was below them. Well, that actually is pretty dangerous. McCoy and Valley not only endangered themselves, she said, they endangered everyone in town. Then this next quote, 
Um, McCoy, 27, told the judge that he was born and raised in Pocatello, Idaho, and worked most recently as a smoke jumper based in Redmond, Oregon. He's been in Missoula for the past six or eight months, he said, and should be trusted to stick around while he awaits trial. Quote, I am a nonviolent person, he said. I served in the military for four years. I am going to appear. I've supported the community for a few years and have been a part of the Missoula Smoke Jumpers as well. I don't feel 70,000 is quite right. He also sure. worked for the Navy, or he was in the Navy for a while, which is going to play into my post about UFOs and the space program. But we're not there yet. <laughs> okay. So... Anything else you want to respond to in this maybe more complicated question of do the ends justify the means? Because I, this was the the Bitterroot, bit the Bitterroot fires. So the year like two thousand, right. I think, I is when the fires and very the, well, very bad in the Bitterroot. So some logging was going to be happening because of that, and that specific project seems to be what they were trying to bring attention to. They certainly succeeded in bringing some attention. I just don't know if it's the kind of attention that he really wanted. I don't know because I haven't followed his story as much, but I'd be interested what he thinks about that today. Well, in a more recent article I found, um, and I can read a little bit of this, <laughs> this is uh, about the Frank Little farm. So now that he's a farmer, Sean McCoy, along with his family, owns and runs an urban vegetable and fruit operation called Frank's Little Farm, named after a legendary Butte Union organizer who was murdered in 1917. He said he's looking forward to selling tomato plants and other starts. I'm not going to do food this go around, he said. Things are a little uncertain right now. So this is an article from the Missoulian about the farmer's market, and this is pandemic era. Okay. The markets are a big revenue source for local farmers, he said. And because the market was supposed to open May 2nd, there's been a few weeks of lost income for many. And then further down, um, there's huge unprecedented interest in local products and food, he said. We're going to try and take as many precautions as we can. As farmers, we're really isolated anyway, so we're really, un we're really necessarily... We aren't necessarily concerned ugh, about our own welfare as much as we are about the community. So we need to take precautions seriously. Mm -hmm. So now he is concerned about the community, about the welfare. Well, that's good. If he continues running for mayor um, after the 420, the April 20th um, opening, opening filing. Well, that's the opening. The deadline, oh, okay. the deadline is in June is when it's going to close. If he is interested in running, he'll have to at some point talk about this incident in his distant Missoula past. Will he? Yeah. Why do you say that? Someone named Travis likes to show up to city okay. council meetings and bring things up directly in public comment. But do you think it would really be central to the campaign or do you think it would be my interest? Over? My interest. Is, so there's been a, a sort of packed mayoral race in the past and that really split votes all kinds of different directions. Sure. So my, my interest is who the votes might be peeling off of if he does run. And therefore, that might give some insight into any, you know, beyond just his own interest in running for mayor, if there's any other dynamics at play. Sure. So I'm curious. Hmm. I'm curious. Yeah. Anyways, I'm also curious about UFOs. Okay. And the space program. <clears throat> We're not going to get into whether or not we landed on the moon in this in this conversation, but my grandpa uh, apparently saw UFOs. I did not know this until just yesterday. Did they ever identify what those flying objects were? 
You know, grandpa did not, but he dragged grandma. She was devout Christian. So I don't know if she thought that they, if they were demons or not, but um, he dragged grandma to a UFO convention, maybe more than one. Hmm. This is according to my mother. I believe her. And that is crazy. The fact that my grandma went to a UFO convention is a little crazy, but I didn't know there were UFO conventions. There were indeed. And there's a lot of stuff going on, apparently, not just, you know, in, in this <laughs> UFO world we now live in, since uh, Billings, Montana is where the Chinese spy yeah, balloon was, just was, thinking, was seen. And wasn't then, the Chinese spy balloon a UFO until it was discerned what it actually was? Well, yeah. An unidentified aerial phenomenon now is the updated term, but there's also been weird-looking cloud phenomenon seen Wait. in big sky country and other places. I mean, th there are some weird things happening in unidentified skies. Unidentified aerial phenomenon. You didn't know that's the updated term? No. UAP. Why? UFO is so like a long time ago. It's but UAP why? now. Because there's been some some effort to to have a disclosure movement happen. This was um, a, a guy from Blink 182 and Wait, who? Which one? Yeah, a dude from Blink-182 was part of this disclosure movement. Um, I can't remember his name. It gets all so silly and stupid. I want to talk about Granddad. That, do you know that the reason I ever started playing guitar was because of Blink-182? Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. You just you just admitted that. I like, did. On a, this I did. microphone is live. I'm, did you know that? I did. We're recording this. Sorry. Okay. No, you have you no apologies. You can bleep me out later. <laughs> oh, it is, it is out there forever. So, um... And I don't mean to make light of, of what was kind of a tragic situation in my in my own family history. It happened a long time ago, so it's not like a, a big sort of rip the heart out kind of situation. But but granddad um, died in an airplane crash. And the reason why I, I was thinking about this and looking into this is bec it's because I had this conversation. And I, I won't get too much into the specifics on who I was talking to, but... Uh, this person flew planes, and you're going to appreciate this because you, crazy person, fly planes too from yes. time to time. And so that blows me away. Um, people do fly planes, and there are accidents that can happen. And, and even you read this post, Ali, and, and thought you might even understand some of the dynamics internally in the yeah. engine. There's, there, there's no speculation that something weird necessarily happened in the plane crash. What's weird is that my, my grandpa... Um, owned a telecommunication company, a small local company. And so he would actually do work on mountaintops to fix the equipment, to get the signal out. The conversation I had before looking into this history with my grandpa and having a conversation with my mom, the conversation I had was with someone else who back in the day flew planes for IBM. Um, this, this, this man, a uh, former uh, Air Force pilot, was contacted around this time by a, a Christian broadcast network. They were having trouble getting their signal out from the mountaintops. There was talk among the flyboys that he knew at the time that these mountains had been dedicated to Satan by Aleister Crowley. So he decided, I'm going to take a gallon of holy water, take my buddy up. We're going to go fly over these mountains and sprinkle the crap out of the water, out of the, the water, out yeah. of the plane on the mountains. And, the signal apparently started going again, unbeknownst to him until much later. And the the broadcast network ended up forming a relationship. They ended up like, having a long 14-year uh, relationship with this Christian broadcast network. The man is also a pastor. And so this idea of signals, I ended up kind of looking into Motorola, the company that bought my grandpa's business after he, after he died and the business got sold. Uh, Motorola was actually the technology in the... Um, when we allegedly went to the moon and you hear the voice back coming back to the, to the earth, which is totally a round ball and not flat. Um, I don't think it's flat. I have, I have, who knows this is, 
it's a hologram. I don't understand the world at all. But um, Motorola, it's fascinating. Motorola grew really fast. They bought up a bunch of communication companies. My grandpa's company was one of them. Um, and it just gets weirder and weirder. And I document some of this weirdness and in including, I mean, honestly, it just gets so bizarre. There's a homeless guy that I've talked to multiple times who claims his grandpa is Norris Bradbury, who worked on the Manhattan project. And then the most dangerous woman in Montana, Jane Rechtenwald casually dropped that she was the librarian, the astronomy librarian, um, for, Heineck for this UFO, well-known uh, UFO scientist guy, Joseph Allen Heineck. I believe it. An American astronomer, professor, and UF- UFOologist. What is this universe? What What is going on in this world? Can you explain it to me? Do you believe there was a man on the moon? I will dance to a song by R.E.M., and that's that's as far as I'm willing to go in this in this podcast episode. Okay. Um, I will continue saying that uh, I do the, the David the David Lynch um, the David Lynch situation. So David Lynch was born in Missoula. He after a couple months was uh, moved with his family up to Sandpoint, Idaho. I recently found out that my grandpa, his name is uh, Robert Ditton. Um, so Bob, Bob's dad Roy was a real asshole. Apparently, actually got a divorce from his wife. I think it's Ethel Hemphill is the name. <clears throat> if I if I uh, get the names right, I'm kind of going from memory because I don't have the historical documents in front of me. But Roy lived on the lake up up north. Um, he lived on Ponderé, which is, um, and I can't pronounce the, the lake very well, Pen Oriole. It's in northern Idaho. It's the lake that's... Ponderé. Is it, is it pronounced Ponderé? Mm-hmm. Okay. So that lake is very deep, and it's very interesting that there is a naval training station called the Farragut Naval Training Station. And uh, it just it's fascinating stuff. It just gets so, so strange. It, it really kind of blows me away. But um, those are some of the things that I connect. It, it might not sound as coherent now as I'm kind of throwing out some of these data points. The post, though, much more coherent. So I would um, definitely recommend reading the post. It's titled, My Family History with Unidentified Flying Objects and the Space Program. Interesting. The, the connection to the space program also involves a plastic plate with that that guy who you think that's the moon right there uh, i'm pointing to the picture oh, of the plastic look, plate it looks like the moon not a, not a bunch of crushed up concrete in some giant uh soundstage uh, some in, indoor oh. situation with stanley kubrick behind the, the cameras going that looks great guys i like the moon in fact the moon this week was ha- your scapegoat no, it wasn't. It it was a real thing. It was a full moon this week. It was. Yes, it was. It can impact things. The moon the moon definitely impacts things. Um, people in the ER know this. I worked with unstable people th- that are kind of unstable year round. It does or in, throughout the month. But man, when it was a full moon, you would definitely have people that were prone to outbursts. Seemingly doing more of that outbursting. I made no such outbursts for the record. I, you're right. I was talking more about tides, like moon, tides, there's a pull. It's kind of interesting. It is interesting. And I do like oceans and I do like lakes and water. And so one of the things I'm going to mention, as we discussed earlier, the, the idea of having books is really important. One of the things that we're going to be looking at in later episodes, this book is called Case Studies in Drowning Forensics. 
Um, there's this phenomenon called the smiley face killers. We talked a little bit with uh, William Ramsey. Yes. In our interview with him about the smiley face killings. This is dozens and dozens and dozens. Now, I know William Ramsey cites it at over 300 or even 400, but there seems to be a phenomenon of mostly young men disappearing and showing up in water later. And as this might relate to cases locally, like the Rebecca Barsati case, I think one of the things that's a challenge is there's so much information. You and I are pretty like close to the, a lot of this information. And so even when we're talking about the results of the two autopsies, whether or not there was water in her lungs, whether or not there were insects, um, there are some of those kind of macabre but very important details that we know about in that case that really do seem to have some echoes in some of these other cases. And so um, the fact that the dark web was mentioned by Guy Baker really interests me. Um, I think that there are enough psychopaths out there with access to things like the dark web where they can plan together. They can even consume content. Who knows what kind of live streaming um, or other kind of video content is is out there and being consumed. But I'm more interested in some of the planning that might be happening, the coordination, the killer psycho networks. Um, we also have the Idaho Slains. Right. Um, and so Brian Kohlberg, um, or is that his last name? How do you, Kohlenberg or something? It, I, I don't have his Kohlberg name. It's either Kohlberg or Kohlberger. And but it's, it's, really, it's really interesting that, you know, you've got some potential connections with him and the BT, BTK killer. Um, Brian, this, this psychopath was taking classes with a professor that actually had a strong connection to the, the BTK killer. Um, and then you actually have the house with some occult undertones. I finally saw someone on Twitter on the Twitter mentioned something that I had identified a while back. And that's the weird 1122 King road address. Right. So when you're thinking about JFK, you know, 1122 King Road, you start quickly thinking, could there be something to how this guy targeted, um, targeted these people, um, the way you leave signals or messages behind? I mean, psychopaths put a lot of effort. They have massive egos. Um, they really do think a lot of times, generally speaking, they are a more higher evolved species than the rest of us. And so there seems to be potentially some, some stuff at play where you have to look at the details. Unfortunately, low resource counties that don't have a lot of sophistication are outnumbered a lot of times when it comes to how they might be able to identify and respond to this, or sometimes they might just be complicit directly. You don't know. Right. You have to have DCI come in here in Montana. That's the division of criminal investigation. One of the interesting things, one of the sort of synchronicities, um, Brian Lockerbie. So Brian Lockerbie was pictured in one of the posts this week. He was next to Lowell Hochalter. He's up there in the DCI world, the division of criminal investigation. Well, I, from my understanding, and I don't know if this is known publicly, but I actually, it's a small world. And so when you have a friend that knows kids and has gone to a wedding, you, you tend to get a little bit of a sort of insider insight. Apparently, Brian Lockerbie is a graduate of the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. Sean Stevenson's dad, Dr. Kenneth Stevenson, also a graduate of the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. Um, I spoke with Dr. Kenneth Stevenson uh, recently, and you know they, they have oaths that they feel pretty serious about. Dr. Kenneth Stevenson knows that his oath that he took, he feels very serious about. He still believes that he has, you know, basically... Uh, a duty to his oath. And he hopes that any other former cadet, any other graduate of the Air Force Academy, 
or in the military would feel a calling inside. I don't know if that's the case. I actually called Brian and left a message. Haven't heard back. Um, maybe he's busy with his private sector gig, the Lockerbie leadership group. That might be something for a, for a later post. I really hope DCI is capable of oversight. We, we really need strong, strong county, strong county sheriffs, right? Um, especially as cartel infiltration might be as deep in Montana as Billings, right? Um, definitely need some, some strong sheriffs willing to be not corrupt and competent when it comes to, you know, getting full, complete personnel files together of their fellow deputies, not allowing people to commit suicide in your jail, shit like that. What do you think? Anything to I do respond to? Re remember what I was going to say previously, um, and that is that I am thankful for the people in authority in our government, and I do think they have a ridiculous job, and it's really difficult. And so I appreciate the efforts they do take to to stave off the cartel and to keep Montana <laughs> safe. I really do. I know you do. I'm just laughing because good cop, bad cop, bad cop, good cop. No, I've, I'm sincere in that. I think it's, I've said it before. I think I do pray for our leaders because we are on the same ship and I don't want to be on the Titanic. There was a local conversation happening in a Facebook group in which a mountain line employee who very much does not work in HR, uh, mostly in grants was, was kind of having some of those difficult conversations from members of the public, maybe me, maybe others, you know, those difficult conversations about safety, things that might be out of his purview. And I like to come in and also say, you know, Hey, there's other people involved in this. And, you know, we should recognize that burnout is a thing. Um, in that conversation, it was more thinking about possible bus driver burnout. If you're dealing with unruly right. people, it's a similar situation with law enforcement. I have, a, I, I actually made some comments, um, about city police frustration and how sometimes they'll dump unruly people on the lawn of the courthouse, which is technically county property, which is the purview of the sheriff's department. And so sometimes literally within our city core, there can be city county dynamics that aren't always conducive to taking care of problematic people. Right. My specific questions for mountain lion that I'm actually very interested in hearing some follow-up is if they do have a list of people they maintain that they have trespassed from their property and how they work with law enforcement to enact or, or to enforce their, um, their trespassing policies. Because, um, back when I worked at the Pavarella, uh, the Pavarella, uh, we've been talking for a while, haven't, haven't we? Back when I worked at the Pavarello center, the difficulty of trespassing someone was something that we were actually very familiar with because we were downtown and people could very easily go from the, the, the property of the Pavarello Center to the alleyway, which was public property. And sure. so imagine playing some of the, the challenges when you have a lot of people in the alley basically waiting or having oh, just yeah. finished their meal. That was not very conducive to trying yeah. to manage potentially unruly people. Well, we, we have been talking for a while. I do get concerned my voice and ability to speak will start breaking down at, at a certain point. Um, are there other things that we want to touch on before wrapping up this week in review? This Zoomcron week in review? Not unless you can think of something. Well, I probably could if I, if I took some of my brain power and directed it towards thinking of things, but um, I'm still trying to absorb UFO stuff and, and grandpa blowing up in an airplane and what all, what all it might mean in the universe to have so many strange synchronicities and things that are just really sometimes hard to explain. 
like how you showed up in that courtroom that one day. And you got a, a, a little insight into how a death certificate can be turned into a time machine by a judge who might be an activist judge, might even be more than an activist judge, but that is going to be a topic for another episode. For another day. For another day. I think that's a good good um, place to end it. I am looking outside the window. Can you remind me what month it is in Montana? I think it's March. Are you sure? Because like, do you see that there is snow out there and then it was snowing earlier? It looks cold. If you live outside of Montana and you're listening to this, um, one reason to not move here and take up residence is the snow and how it doesn't stop in March, in April. I know that I've actually seen snow in June and, and that's after the trees got leaves and it started bringing down the branches. Yeah, yeah I've seen that too. It's also spring forward this weekend. So remember right. to spring forward your clocks oh, Sunday. That's right. I actually was reminded because Adam on Deborah Gets Red Pilled is excited. He does a lot of farm work now. And so he's excited for more light. We nice. should all be excited for more light. I'm excited. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's a really good place to end it. Thank you for tuning in to ZoomCron Week in Review. If you want to read the week's postings, which you can catch Monday through Friday, usually at 7 a.m., um, unless something goes wrong with technology, technology doesn't like me. You seem to not have that same problem, Allie. But normally, 7 a.m., Monday through Friday, you can catch posts, articles, perspectives, all kinds of fun stuff. And that's at ZoomCron, which is Z-O-O-M-C-H-R-O-N. You can catch me, uh, send me an email if you want, at WillSkink. That's W-I-L-L-S-K-I-N-K at yahoo.com. What else? If you're going to call me because you have my phone number, don't call me at like 1.30 in the morning and then leave your phone off. Um, I do try and follow up and connect with some of these interesting things that, that come my way. And it's been so interesting the last couple of days. So many things coming my way. So many things. Um, I'm not sure why. Maybe it's because yeah. of the, the, just the, the true entertainment value of some of the posts that have been happening recently. You don't have to answer every call. Oh, that's true. That's true. I don't. And I won't. So thank you for tuning in. We will be back next week, next weekend, for another week in review. Who knows what's going to happen this coming week? I know we've got some ideas, some things we're going to do, and we're going to tell you about it. Thanks for tuning in. Adios for now. Here's a little song about love and hate. I hope you enjoy it. It's taken a few takes, but I think this is going to be the one that sticks. <clears throat> Wally loves his Highlanders, cows, they love their grass. I enjoy a bite of steak, cause nothing ever lasts. Ryan loves his big horn heads, wolves they love to hunt. I enjoy the football game, watching Broncos punt. So why you go down to the hate below I don't know Shawnee loved his daughter psychos love control I enjoy resurrecting stories from the hole Kenneth loves his family darkness loves the rage I enjoy steam release to float outside my cage. So, why you go down 
to the hate below. I don't know. Missoula loves their Holly Lake and claims to love by parks. I enjoy juxtaposing, baby, we should talk. Tourists love their big sky pigs, bison love Yellowstone. I enjoy taking stands, leave my kids alone. So, why you go down to the hate below? I don't know. Osprey love the taste of fish. So do grizzly bears. I enjoy singing words to accentuate the air. Has loves multimodal, anything but cars. I enjoy public comment more than drinks at bars. So why you go down to the hate below? I don't know, but I do know that Wally loves his Highlanders. Cows, they love their grass. I enjoy a bite of steak, cause nothing ever lasts. And Ryan loves his big horn heads. Wolves, they love to hunt. I enjoy the football game, watching Broncos punt. Yes, I do. I really do. And I share that love with you. Yes, I do. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Peace. <laughs>